like to note when I catch things that so well go along with the, the message in the morning in that second verse. Oh, perfect redemption, the purchase of blood to every believer, the promise of God, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment when Jesus a pardon receives. And we're going to see that in the book of, of Revelation this morning as we go through the introduction, the introduction that John intended for the book and also my introduction to this series. Looking forward, folks, with all that's going on in our world and the disappointment of our own leadership around the world in our own country, we need to be reminded of the end of the story. And even as I was studying for this this week, it was such a blessing to remember that the King of Kings is coming. And all that uh, the political leadership that we're under right now is temporary. Praise the Lord for that. Yes. For those that follow God's principles, we're thankful for that. But there are so many that follow their own way. Here we have, even at the beginning of this series, the revelation, I've entitled the revelation of Jesus Christ, and I've entitled it that way for a purpose. Some of your translations may say the revelation of John the Apostle, but folks, even in the first verse, it reminds us this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is the true title for this. We're going to see a message from our Lord Jesus. You know, um, in my office, in our home, it's a little crammed with a lot of things in there. As you would expect, the, the majority of those things are books. And I've done the best that I can with a lot of different bookcases, get my desk in the middle, and I'm surrounded, literally surrounded by commentaries and language studies and all these types of things. And usually I have at least one or two, sometimes with some books, maybe even three or four different commentaries for each book depending on the book and depending upon how the Lord has, has provided in that way. But it's interesting with Revelation, a unique uh, situation. I only have one basic commentary. I did that on purpose because unfortunately, in, a, in most Christian circles today, there are so many different interpretations of this book. And that includes commentaries. Literally in every commentary that you purchase, there's a slight difference in interpretation. Now you have nuances of that through every commentary because no commentary is perfect. That's only Christ, not only God's word. But especially when it comes to revelation, there are so many interpretations uh, that one has to be careful. And there's, there's even some series that I normally trust that when it comes to the book of Revelation, it's like, no, nah, I don't even need to spend time with that because they just view the whole book and the prophecy in a different way than I'm comfortable with that I think is, is appropriate. This is a unique book in many regards. Uh, we will talk more about those differences as we go through this study, but I want you to understand, even up front, as we um, start this book, that we're going to have a specific way of interpreting it. And we're going to have a specific emphasis. Um, so many times when you come to this book, uh, leaders and, and, and lay people get distracted by a lot of things. And there, there's a lot of interesting, sometimes just bizarre descriptions in this book. Let's just face it. 
are things that it's going to take some time to really explain. And that in some cases, I'm going to say this, according to my study, is the best interpretation that, that I can give. And I think it's, it's biblical in this. But at the same time, uh, there's a lot of, as I said, different interpretations. But there's also different focuses. People think of, when they think of Revelation, big Long, beautiful charts. Maybe you've seen some charts from the book of Revelation that literally could be could go across the wall. They're so big and impressive and, and everything. And maps, lots of maps. And um, lots of people have their own favorite charts when it comes to, to Revelation. And thinking of, of, of the prophecies and, and different aspects of the prophecy. And there's a lot of different focuses that people can be distracted by in this book. And folks... The main focus, and I want to be clear, that this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And our main focus is going to be to learn more about Jesus. That's it. It's that simple. It contains the revealing of the finality of the coming of the victorious Christ to restore a fallen world and deal with sin in finality. That is the great hope, even in these first few verses that Jesus is coming again. We can sing that. Folks, Scripture is Jesus' story. And his message is this book. He reveals the final chapter of world history. And we're going to see that in all its interesting display here. Paul, or Paul, I'm so used to saying Paul in our studies, but John here, the Apostle John, has a very specific wants us to understand something, even at the beginning about this book, and it's incumbent upon us to pay attention to this revelation. There are many scholars that just kind of disregard this book and say in the end, because they, the way that they interpret it, more allegorical, and they, vision, they, they make everything as um, an allegory or um, uh, lacking reality and just more visual, these types of things. And anyway, there's scholars that come to this and say, I just don't even really understand this book at all. I don't spend much time in it at all. But this, John makes clear, this book, when received, comes with a blessing. We'll see more of that too, uh, soon. My interpretation of this book is going to be what's called the normative interpretation in what is actual and representative in this book. That doesn't mean that there's going to be some visions and things um, that represent realities. But it's basically going to be we're going to interpret the visions and the content of the book based on what matches actual reality and what does not. And when it doesn't match actual, actual reality, we'll discuss what it means for us and what the correct interpretation is. But regardless of all of that, folks, the, uh, one of the main things I want us to see as we come to this book and have as an attitude is we need to receive this book by faith and prepare for its fulfillment. I think one of the things that John is addressing in the first part of his introduction is our propensity to lack confidence in God's word. As believers, we say, I believe in God's word. I trust it. I read it. But sometimes, maybe even when we come to the book of Revelation, we get confused and we start to think, I'm not so sure what that means. And I'm not so sure that, that I, Lord, I'm not sure that, do you really mean for us to, 
place our faith and, and to have confidence in, in this. There are portions of scripture we come to that we don't understand as well. And that's that's my job. That's my ministry is to help you understand God's word. But I think in the practical outpouring of our daily lives, sometimes we would admit this to other people, but we doubt. We doubt that God's word is as powerful as he says it is. Um, that we can fully rely on it, or practically speaking, we just rely on other things rather than God's word. And in, in our practical everyday life, we um, we show by our actions that we don't have confidence in God's word. And John here is going to address that and say, you must have confidence, you must believe in Jesus Christ because he's coming soon and you need to act like it. And we're going to see that today, a message from the Lord Jesus. Let's read verses uh, 1 through 8 together. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear, and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you, and peace from him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Father, thank you for this powerful beginning to this amazing book. And Lord, let us, give us as we, as we have the privilege and opportunity to study this in the upcoming weeks and months. Lead us into the right interpretation. Lead me, guide me in that. Lord, in a book that has befuddled and confused even many scholars with so many different interpretations, Father, we want to be accurate in this because it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is his message to us about his victorious return. And we must act on these truths. And we can also trust these truths and be confident <clears throat> and place our dependence in this great hope that he will return and we will worship him forever. So help our folks today to be confident in your word, to practically live it out and rely on it, even this book. And we pray for that understanding and that confidence and we know that you'll give it to us for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. John introduces a message from the Lord Jesus. First of all, this message, his message, reveals his return is drawing near. And the very transmission 
of this message is supervised by God himself. Let's look then again at verse uh, 1. As the very beginning words of this book make it clear, it is further revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. If you'll remember, one of John, the Apostle's major themes, we've gone through the Gospel of John, and we're actually going to be going through his smaller uh, letters in Wednesday night. So, you know, in a year's time, we'll have worked through all of John's writings, which, which is a blessing in and of itself. But John, one of his major themes is that Jesus himself is the very Word of God. Do you remember that in John? The revealer of who God is, his Son. And now Jesus, as John uh, presents this final revelation that we have in Scripture from Jesus, he's providing that from God in our Bibles, and this will describe the end of the story of world history. We are going to see that take place. It's interesting, throughout Scripture, the end times are mentioned in the Old Testament, and Christ mentioned the end times as well in uh, some of the Gospels. But they were described in terms when it was mentioned of a distant future, that it would come sometime in the future. In this revelation of Jesus in particular, and that very word revelation is the Greek word apocalypsis. More on that in a minute. It represents the coming of Christ in the end times as coming back, as happening very soon. That it will take place very soon. Now, as we hear that and as we read the things that must soon take place, and then as we get to the end of verse 3 and we hear, for the time is near, we may look at that. That was written almost, folks, 2,000 years ago. I don't know. In our humanity, that doesn't seem like, that doesn't feel like it, it's happening very soon, right? It doesn't feel like it's near. What do we do about that? Somehow, John, get the message wrong? Well, the truth is, and I think you all know this, that soon is God's perspective. It's not humanity's. It's not ours. As we look back almost 2,000 years ago to God, it's just but a moment, right? It is eminent. What is eminent? That's an important word. He's describing here the eminent return of Christ, and that means, folks, it can happen at any time. And we have that. Remember how Paul in his writings wrote in that way. that He was expecting it. He was... Um, looking forward to it, but in the meantime, you need to serve him faithfully, hoping at any moment. Well, 2,000 years later, we're still, we still have that hope. Lord will be faithful, but we know it's happening soon. It could happen at any moment. It could happen before the end of the service. It could happen before Thanksgiving. It wouldn't it be much better to celebrate Thanksgiving in heaven with Jesus? <laughs> I don't know if we get a turkey or not, but I guarantee the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to be wonderful. That would be great. It could happen at any time. That word, apocalypsis or apocalypse, what does that reflect today? That word for revelation. Well, cataclysmic, destructive events that signal the end of the world. And unfortunately, in our culture today, they tie that as a byline that it's the fault of global warming, right? Everything's going to be destroyed. There are movies out because man didn't respect nature. Well, part of that is true in the aspect of there is going to come an end to all this, and it is going to be cataclysmic. 
And for those that have rejected Christ, it's going to be awful and destructive. But folks, the word apocalypse, that revelate word for revelation, also for God's people is glorious. Because it means a glorious, victorious end to all this. And that's the positive sense, what John and what Christ want us to focus on, a glorious end for the people of God. And in that case, then, it's not an apocalyptic, negative, cataclysmic event, but it is prophecy that reveals end-time events that only God could reveal. All these events, Jesus is graciously giving us this revelation. That's why we need to take it seriously. Otherwise, we would have no idea what's going on in the future times. Jesus, in his revelation, is graciously showing us the end of the story here. His revelation, his apocalypse is something that we welcome. If he didn't show it to us, we would never comprehend it. But he did. And he sent it through his servant, John. John received it through God's servants, God's angelic messengers, which God, go back to verse one, God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. Those, that word is bondservant. We've been looking at that word on Wednesday nights. Those are the slaves, the bondservants of God. Those are believers that Jesus is giving this revelation to us. And then what I just said, he made it known, Jesus made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Jesus Many times we're going to see throughout Revelation, this angelic messengers giving the revelation to John. They were sent by Jesus through the permission of God himself, who bore witness to the word of God. All of this means, folks, that as this plan goes forward and as we study this, and this is revealed to us, this is all supervised by God himself. He's the one allowing this revelation. He's the one that will put it into play. We can trust this revelation because it's totally under the supervision of God. He sends the angels, and um, the angels send the word to John, and John then gives it to us via the Holy Spirit. God is in charge of the whole process. We can trust the transmission of Jesus' message. And John here continues one last time. To have the blessed privilege of witness. He's referred to here. And that he bore witness to the word of God. As Jesus gave it to him. And he gets to relay the message of the word. The testimony of Jesus Christ to the world. One more time. He did that in his gospel. Describe the word. That revealed all of who God is. The very nature. The very um, flesh. Description of of the deity of God through Jesus Christ. Now he gets to do that one more time in this revelation through Christ. He will describe for us what he saw so that we can learn and we can be prepared. And there's a lot of detail in this description that we need to ready ourselves for. Reminds me, um, it was Wednesday. We had quite an interesting day in our home. And Right before the, the the prayer service, my wife called me. We had an event that took place that made it even more interesting for them at home. You'll remember it was just 
Arden and I believe Hudson and Luke, no, Luke and Kendall and Hudson were all at home on this day. And Leslie had been where there, there's some felt boxes by our door that has all the gloves and all the hats and the scarves and everything for easy access pull it out. And so Leslie was cleaning out that area. This was probably an, I think an hour before the first service started. And she pulled one box out and literally something jumped out from the back and freaked her out, scared her half to death. Huge scream. The boys came running. And this thing, almost like it flew to the wall. And then when the boys chased after it, and then the dog and cat were there as well, and they got into it. This thing was running super speed around the room, ended up in the living room. Now, I'll give all of the details of that another time, uh, but it ended up that Luke was able to catch it and put it. He had just bought a new cage, an, an aquarium type of uh, cage with all the, the glass surrounding and everything. And he put it in there and we looked it up and it was a flying squirrel. Then somehow when the door had been opened, sometimes the, the doorknob doesn't, doesn't click all the way, and sometimes the door can be open and you don't realize it. And somehow that crazy squirrel had gotten inside and had found a wonderful little nest in the midst of all those gloves and scarves and everything, and Leslie scared it half to death, and it flew off. Well, well, it was it was uh, fun to watch it for a while. We eventually had to let it go, and there's a lot more to that story. But the point was, when I got home, Leslie had quite the story for me because it was so surprising and so vivid and this craziness of not only the kids, but the dog and the cat. I think Ellie actually chomped on it one time and uh, got it away from her. And, and so all of that together made, made her remember a lot of the details and she was ready to give it to me because of the vividness and craziness of that vision. Well, folks, John here is ready to tell us because of the vividness and the uniqueness of this vision he is ready with all the details to let us know so that we can comprehend. Now, I needed to know about that squirrel so we could figure out what to do with it. They were necessary details. But even more so, John says, these details are vital for you to understand, and I'm ready to give them to you. I bore witness to the word of God, the testimony of Jesus Christ and all that he saw. Why is it so important so we can learn and be prepared? But look at verse 3. It's also important because the message of Jesus Christ, its transmission, provides blessings for his servants. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. That's me. I get a blessing from this. But you do as well, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. For the time is near. The final book of the Bible, Revelation, has a unique characteristic. I don't know if you noticed this before, but it pronounces a blessing on those who proclaim it and those who hear and obey it. Now, of course, there's blessings from reading, reading all of God's word. Don't misunderstand me. But no book of the Bible says there is a unique blessing for those that listen and obey it like Revelation does. And so the apostle here is relating a sense of urgency. This revelation must be proclaimed and obeyed. Time is short, and that's why you'll receive a blessing. The Holy Spirit will work understanding in your life. And maybe there's another aspect to this blessing that we won't understand entirely until we get to heaven. But folks, as you listen and as you commit to obeying 
the words that you hear from the revelation, you will receive a blessing as well. God promises, Scripture promises that. And so it is important indeed. You get the sense of that as we continue. This is not something to ignore. It's something to pay attention to and um, comprehend and understand. Well, John continues, the message of Jesus Christ, but also his messenger, who is John, proclaims the truth of his return. And John proclaims now again who Jesus is. It's one of his favorite themes. And he's going to do that again in a brief set of words here. But he's going to proclaim who he is and what he has done for us. Verses 4 through 6. John, the apostle John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. And it seems pretty obvious in this that this is the same John that was the beloved disciple that wrote the gospel that wrote the three letters that we have, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and is now writing this as well. All he has to do is say his name, John. John has great name recognition because at this point, folks, this was probably written toward 95, 96 AD, toward the end of that century. John's the only one left of the disciples. People know, when you, you say the word John, and there's a written a letter like this, they know automatically this is the Apostle John that was with Jesus Christ. He doesn't have to say much more than that. But this is the John to the seven churches that are in Asia. And he writes this vision to seven individual churches. They're real churches, churches that he was familiar with and certainly had interaction with. While most likely we think that John, for the end of his ministry, was stationed in Ephesus. And we'll get more about his current situation as he writes this book, as we continue to study this. But he um, knew these churches and had an interaction with them. They were in the heart of Asia Minor. Now he has an important message to send to these churches from Jesus Christ himself. We'll see that soon as well. But he's writing to them. These are real churches with real strengths and weaknesses, and we'll see that as well. He states the common Christian letter greeting, blessings, grace, and peace to you. But this isn't a unique Trinitarian form. See if you can see the Trinity described here. Grace to you. All the grace that we need as believers to understand this revelation and to live it out in our lives. And peace, that all-consuming, all sense of spiritual well-being that the Jews desired and talked about all the time. John says, peace to you. You have access to the grace and peace from God. He's referring here, first of all, to the Father, from him who is. He is presently with us. But he's from eternity past, and he'll be through eternity future. And so he is God. He always has been. He always will be. The Father described as one who eternally was who is currently ever-present in all circumstances, all-present, all-knowing, and the one who is present in the eternal future as well, the one who is, who was, and who is to come. That's God the Father, eternal God who's in control, supervising this whole thing. But also, and the, from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Now that may throw you. Who's he talking about? Because remember, I just said this is a Trinitarian formula. Well, wait a minute, Pastor Brock. Seven spirits. 
Who is that? Who can that be referring to? Well, some people say, well, it must be some sort of angels. Well, there's a problem with that. I hope you see right away. John describes grace and peace, and this grace and peace can only come from God. It can't be given to us by angels. And therefore, these seven, if they're angels, they can't give us grace and peace, so that's not going to work. Folks, let me put you out of your misery here. This is a rare description of the Holy Spirit. What is the number seven in Scripture? It's a number of perfection. And so, although it's a unique way to describe the Holy Spirit, it certainly is appropriate to describe him in that way. The number of perfection, the number that represents God. And so, the Holy Spirit, who are before his throne, recognizing the authority of God the Father. Now, if you're not still not entirely convinced about that, in Zechariah, Zechariah 4, we have a description here that makes it clear. And I think that John is referencing this. In fact, as we continue through this description, we're going to see many references to the Old Testament. And it's almost as if all these references from the Old Testament are now finally revealed and fulfilled in this book, Revelation. You want, and you can find it in the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. He says, the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who was awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on top of it with seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on top of it. And there's two olive trees, the right of the bowl, and the other is left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, Lord? And the angel who talked to me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. By the way, Zachariah is one of those books that does talk about end times in its own way. So who does the angel say that those seven lamps? That's our identity. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord in Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So John is drawing from that to describe in this really unique way the Holy Spirit that gives us grace and peace. And then finally, he leaves Jesus Christ to last. It's unusual for an introduction of this, but it's because the rest of the revelation is about Jesus Christ. And so he leaves him last so that now he can talk about him for the rest of the book. And again, he has a lot to say about Jesus. He is, first of all, the faithful witness. The ultimate faithful witness of the things of God. What does that mean, folks? Again, it means that if Jesus faithfully witnesses and gives testimony about all things about him, that we can trust it. That this revelation of Jesus Christ that he's giving to us is fully trustworthy and we can be confident that it's going to happen because he is the faithful witness. But also, and this should be familiar to you. He's the firstborn of the dead. Again, what is that reflecting? Well, we saw this in our study in Colossians. And remember, um, what book of the Bible did we say that Paul certainly would have had on his mind? Or not book, but specific chapter. Remember we did that study in Psalm 89? Hearing now, John is referencing Psalm 89 about the firstborn of God. What, remember what that reflects. 
that Jesus has all the heavenly rights and privileges of God. He's the firstborn of the dead. Jesus, because of his death and resurrection, his sacrifice of his blood on the cross, and because he is God, he is fully deserving of all the privileges and honors of heaven. He's the firstborn of the dead. Just real quickly, reading again from Psalm 89, it's kind of like an old friend. Who would have thought that all the way in the book of Revelation, we have the final fulfillment of Psalm 89, verse 26 through 27. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. This psalm was describing David and the Davidic covenant. But now he's describing someone even more important. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever in his throne as the days of heavens. Here, the psalmist, I believe, remember his name was Ethan, the psalmist there. He's describing the firstborn. It's fulfilled in this book of Revelation, Jesus Christ. But he also says the highest of the kings of the earth. And look how, go back to Revelation, verse 5, how John ends this description, the rulers of the kings of the earth on earth. Another fulfillment of Psalm 89 here. Jesus has all the rights and privileges, and he also has authority over all the kings of the earth. Folks, remember again, whoever was just elected into office, their ultimate authority is not the governor or the president of the United States or anybody else or a foreign nation. Their ultimate authority is God. And they will answer to that authority one day. Praise the Lord. They need to soberly think about that as they make policy. But Jesus is the ruler of all the kings on the earth. Here it's just like John can't help himself. He breaks out into a doxology of praise to Jesus, thinking of all that he has done for us. And these are familiar themes. Folks, here is a Thanksgiving list that you ought to take with you this week. And constantly, you ought to break out in song. And actually, we'll have an opportunity to do that tonight as we reflect on these things. Here's his song of praise for all that Jesus has done for us. To him who loves us, just in the fact, reflecting on the fact that Jesus loves us enough to shed his blood and die for us on a cruel cross. Well, that's more than enough to be thankful in the midst of whatever you're facing. Jesus loves me. Sing the song to yourself. Jesus loves me. There's so many things in that. But because he loves us, he died for us, and he's giving us this revelation about himself. But he also freed us from our sins by his blood. We were enslaved to sin for all eternity except for the fact that Jesus obeyed the Father in his heavenly plan that God is supervising. He shed his blood. And we're free. We don't have to be enslaved. We don't have to face eternal punishment for our sins any longer because we're freed through faith in Christ because he shed his blood. And again, that alone to make us thankful, regardless of what happens this week. Regardless of things, our plans don't go as well as what we had hoped. 
Plans are going to go awry this week, folks, as much as you try to do your best. Remember through this what's most important, that Jesus loves you and he shed his blood so your sins could be forgiven. Then thank the Lord together with your family for that. But he also, verse 6, made us a kingdom. He provided us an eternal kingdom. Aren't we thankful that even our country today, with all of its brokenness, that it's not our eternal kingdom? So thankful for that. But we await an eternal kingdom because through faith in Jesus, because of what he did for us, we look forward. And he made that. He made, he's making us a place, even now, that we will dwell for all eternity. Then furthermore, in the things that Jesus has done for us, that are described here is interesting. It says priests to his God and Father. I don't think as you read that, you might be tempted to. Well, does that mean we're all going to wear robes someday and carry the Urim and the Thum and all those weird things and offer sacrifices? Well, no, that's not at all what it's referring to here. That's been done away with, but it's more poignant. Not that we're become, going to become priests with all the robes and everything, but in essence, we become priests because we have direct access to God the Father. <clears throat> that in the Old Testament, only the priests had access to, and only at special times. The Old Testament saints didn't have that freedom. But folks, we can rejoice and thank the Lord that we can go directly to the Father and pray, and he will hear us. And we don't have to have someone. You don't have to have your pastor represent you. But you can go... And talk to him yourself and enjoy that relationship. For all those things and even more, John says, that's enough. Let's give him glory. Let's, um, let's serve him forever. Gladly let him have dominion that he will, does have and deserves forever and ever. Let him for all eternity hear our worship and see us serving him. And then he says that glorious phrase, amen, which basically means, so let it be, so be it. Folks, can you say that this morning? That for all that Jesus has done for you, you will gladly give him glory and let him serve over you forever. In the hearts of true believers, we all say a hearty amen. Let it be and come soon, Lord Jesus. We can agree with John on that, certainly. Let it be. John proclaims who Jesus is and what he has done for us, but then gloriously, the point of the book now, Paul, John's going to give that to us. The content of this revelation of Christ is that he is returning all the prophecies that proclaimed that he would, and John now gets to tell us it's going to happen. It's imminent. Get ready for it. Verse 7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. All tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen for that too. To a number of passages of scripture that this fulfills, he'll be coming from the clouds, just as Daniel prophesied. And there, again, as you would expect, there's much prophecy of the end times in Daniel that we have now further explanation of in Revelation that help us understand what Daniel was talking about. Daniel said in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And all of that, John says, get ready, it's going to happen. He's coming in the clouds. 
and everyone will take note that he is there. And that is a fulfillment of Zechariah 12.10. Let me read that for you. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him who they have pierced, they shall mourn for him, as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him, as one weeps over a firstborn. And John actually expands that proclamation in Zechariah. Zechariah is talking about the Jewish nation. That they, when they realize that Jesus was and is their Messiah, that they will weep in their rejection of him. But John is expanding this definition to the regret of the whole world, not just the Jews. That again. All of the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even those who pierced him. Why are they weeping? Because at that moment, folks, when Jesus returns, the whole world and those that have rejected Jesus will realize that they should have trusted in him, and they didn't. And that will be the greatest cause for regret and weeping that will ever have been in world history that they had opportunity, and how much more today with our technology and all the access that we have to Scripture and to God's Word, literally on our phone, on our computers, multiple translations, and you can go to a bookstore. I described for you the commentaries that I have, so many avenues to describe God's Word, and people today have more access to that than ever, and certainly when He returns, there will be great wailing and regret. Woe is us! We rejected the king. John says, even so, let it happen. Because, folks, for God's people, it will be a glorious thing. Not that we know the people that rejected him will have eternal punishment, but that he is finally going to right all the wrongs. And sin will be dealt with. We will live with him forever. And so John says, let it all happen, Jesus. Amen. Let it be so. And even as John is giving this testimony, it's almost like God interrupts him here. In verse 8, he says, uh, John, move back from the stage. I'm going to take the stage now. I'm going to remind you. I'm going to remind all of your readers who I am. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come. Almighty God now interrupts his own witness, and he actually refers to himself with the description found in Isaiah 41. He said in Isaiah 41, 4, Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I, the Lord, the first, and with the last, I am he. He is the eternal I am. But here in the Old Testament, that was Hebrew. Here he's speaking to his audience who has Greek as their normative language. So he uses the terms, not first and the last, but alpha and omega, which is still means first and last in Greek, because alpha and omega are the first and last letters of that Greek alphabet. So the same God in the, in the Hebrew that used the Hebrew alphabet, now in Greek, to his modern audience, says, I am the first and the last, I am the I am. I am the almighty, sovereign one, the one with all the authority and power. 
That's what that word almighty refers to. He's saying as we finish this morning that I deserve your full attention. Not me, not John, but the very God of heaven. Folks, is saying you need to listen. Pay attention to this vision. Remember um, one guy when I was an undergrad Pensacola Christian College, uh, my sophomore year, we had uh, a guy that was the we had leaders in our in our dormitory rooms called prayer leaders, and he was on a singing a, a musical team that went about out and about. And I think his name was, was Alan, um, and he had gotten to a point where the uh, administration trusted him enough to be the leader of the room with us. And uh, so he had gotten there first, and he had um, the bottom bunk, which was you always tried to get to your semester early at the beginning of the semester so that you could choose the best bed. You know, the, the, and everybody always wanted the bottom bunk, where nobody wanted to sleep up on the top. You know, you're not a kid anymore. Nobody wants the top bunk. Um, so Alan had the bottom bunk, and the problem was it was central to the room, and he had this alarm clock that I promise you was the the loudest. It was the loudest alarm clock I have ever heard. If you can imagine in your room a fire engine siren going off, that's what this sounded like. And Alan explained to us that he had a real problem with waking up in the morning. And so that he needed to have this alarm on full blast. And he warned us it's going to be pretty loud. And we're like, well, okay. I mean, that's kind of annoying, but it, it, it helps you. Well. The next morning, the first time we heard the 6.30, and this thing went off, and it shook us to our core. I mean, it just rattled us, and it was so loud and obnoxious. And all of us at the same time, turn that off, except there was one problem. Alan was still asleep, <laughs> snoring. It didn't work at all. The very thing that he had set up to get his attention to get him to uh, pay attention and to get up for the day wasn't working. He was totally ignoring that. And the problem was he continued to do it until um, uh, later on in the semester. Uh, we finally ended up, they moved him to another room to do some other things. And we were free of that crazy alarm. I think one time we tried to unplug it. And he woke up late the next day and was all in a panic. And anyway, it definitely got our attention. Well, folks, God is here sounding an alarm to get our attention. And we dare not slumber through this, through this message or through the study of this book. He is calling us to pay attention. Does Jesus have your attention as we have studied his message, his revelation in this final book of God's word? Does he? Are you going to commit yourself to paying attention to Jesus' revelation in this book? God's worthy of all of our honor and respect. We've seen that. As he speaks to us then, if he's worthy of that respect, listen. Seek understanding. This is an important message of power and final victory. If that's not enough, folks, you will receive a glorious for promise, a glorious blessing in heeding of this message. The message, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Pay attention. Let's learn together. And have confidence that God will do what he says he's going to do. Jesus will return. We'll live with him forever. Father, thank you. What a glorious opportunity to study this book with a blessing. 
And I pray that that blessing would be sensed as we allow your Holy Spirit to teach us its truths. Give us your understanding. Lord, don't let this be my opinions and my own uh, perception, but let this truly, let us all be spirit-led in this. If this book is this important, and we trust that it is, we want full understanding. Give, the, us to, give that to us to prepare us for the return of Christ, that we would not slumber through that, and that we would not slumber through the warning call and the alarm that this glorious book has for us. But we would be ready, prepared, ready to praise, ready to serve, to offer him all the glory and dominion forever and ever. Prepare us for that eternal moment, Lord. And give us confidence and gratitude and thankfulness this week as we think on these things. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.